time when I was asked <clears throat> how I started writing, I would say that I started writing in that Andrew Carnegie Library in Vallejo, California, 1949. <clears throat> but for the last few years, I've come to realize that my apprenticeship as a writer happened many years before then. Until I was 15 years old, I lived on a sugarcane plantation in South Louisiana. <clears throat> Many of the old people on that plantation had never gone to school a day in their life. <clears throat> My aunt who raised me told me that I should write letters for the old people who could not write and read their letters for them when they received mail. Writing the letters was a task that I did not look forward to doing because the old people had little to say after, dear so-and-so, how are you? I am well, hope you are the same. <clears throat> after that, they became quiet, and it was my duty to create the letter by asking them questions and then adding some observations of my own. <laughs> they always wanted you to write on both sides of the paper, but they had not said enough to fill the half of one side. So if you wanted to go out and shoot marbles or play baseball with your friends, you had to think and think fast, which I did. I wrote about the weather, and I wrote about the vegetable garden in the backyard and, and any other little thing that seemed important, all quickly as I could so I could be free to play with my other brother and my friends who were not required to do this kind of work. The old people would pay me a, a nickel or maybe tea cakes and milk. I did not realize that at that time I was sitting on the floor near their chairs that I was training to be a writer. I was between 12 and 14 years old at the time, and I was as educated as anyone else on that plantation except for the school teacher who came there to teach us five and six months out of the year. As I said earlier, I went to California at the age of 15. That was in 48. My mother got a job in one of the military plants. My stepfather enlisted into the Merchant Marines, and I was sent to school. But like any 15 or 16-year-old, I wanted to be with my friends after school. If we did not play football, we would hang around on the street corners until my stepfather came in from one of his trips in the Merge Marines and told me I'd better find something to do in my free time. I had three choices, the movies, the YMCA, or the library. I didn't have any money, so movies were out. That left the library and the YMCA. I chose the YMCA because I had never been inside one before. I'd never been inside a library before either, but YMCA sounded more exciting. <clears throat> there was a basketball court, a swimming pool, a weightlifting room, and a dance floor, dance hall with a piano. I did not know how to play basketball. I could not swim. I did not know how to shoot pool or play a piano. But I hung around and watched others do these things. One day, someone asked me if I would like to put on some boxing gloves. I put on boxing gloves once or twice before, but I knew nothing about the art of boxing. But I had nothing else to do that day, and I wanted to be accepted. So I put on the gloves and got into the ring. I was to find out later that my opponent was a sparring partner for a professional fighter. <laughs> but no one had to tell me that. I found that out myself by the second round. <laughs> Between the first round and halfway through the second, my opponent hit me everywhere that it was legal to hit someone. Midway through the, uh, the second round, I turned my back on him and leaning back against the ropes, I began removing the gloves, using my teeth to hurry the process, while everyone in the gym stood around laughing. Next day, or a couple of days later, I went to the library. 
This was the first time I had gone into a library because the one in town nearby where I lived in Louisiana was for whites only. I can still remember the day I first went into that Carnegie Library in Vallejo, California. I had to go up a set of marble steps through a double doors, through a foyer, to the main room of the library. I saw two or three women behind a counter and other people reading magazines and newspapers at tables. These people were of different races and different ages, so I felt it was all right for me to be there, too. I approached the magazine rack, took a magazine at random, and sat down at the table. No one paid me any attention, but I watched everything around me. I looked over the top of the magazine much more than I did reading it. For the next few days, I must have done the same thing. Took a magazine or a newspaper off the rack, sat down at the table, and looked around more than I did reading. About a week after I had been at the, going to the library, I noticed a narrow set of stairs leading up to a second floor. It took me a while to build up the courage to go up there, and it was like taking a trip into a foreign country. There were racks and racks and racks of books, more books than I could have imagined existed. I walked down every aisle that was not occupied by someone else, looking at the books, the titles, the author's names, but never removing the books from the shelves. I know I did not check a book out that day and maybe several days before I took a book home. But whether I was taking a book home or reading it at the library, I became aware that I was choosing books with certain titles without really knowing why. If the title had road in it or water or tree or land or field or country or farm, I would take that book from the shelf. Later I realized that I chose those titles because I was looking for something about my background, southern and rural. During my first 15 and a half years, I had lived on a plantation where I had worked in the fields from the time I was eight years old. I had fished in the bayous and the rivers at this, about that same age. <clears throat> and I had gone into the swamps to pull the end of a handsaw when I was no more than 11. So when tree came up in a title, or earth in the title, or land, or water in the title, my interest perked up as well. But many of these books left me with a feeling of disappointment Though they spoke of earth, land, water, trees, and the people who lived and worked there, they were not describing my people, the people I had left in the South, my aunt who raised me, and the old people who visited her for whom I wrote the letters. They were not describing my brothers and my uncles. They were not talking about my friends with whom I played ball and shot marbles. They were talking about others, and I did not see me there. And 49, <clears throat> My mother had a baby boy, Michael. And the summer of 49 was my duty to look after Michael while my mother was at work. I thought this would give me an opportunity to write a novel. Novel writing couldn't be very hard. Look how many books there were in the library. <clears throat> my big problem was to keep Michael quiet and not dis uh, disturb me while I wrote. And that was accomplished by both of us lying on the floor and while I wrote in longhand on a notebook the other hand was held lightly over Michael's eyes. When he got tired of that, he would eventually give up trying to stay awake and go to sleep. When I finished my book in longhand, I got my mother to rent me a typewriter. I knew nothing at all about typing, just as I would find out later that I knew nothing at all about writing a novel. <laughs> I would spend hours on hours pecking on the typewriter with one finger while I kept my other hand over Michael's eyes until he went to sleep. Since books are printed on sheets about half the size of the average sheet of paper, I decided to cut my sheets of paper in half. Since books are printed on both sides of the pages, I did that as well. 
Since books are printed in simple uh, single space, I did that too. I want to make it easy for the publishers. <laughs> I finished my novel sometime uh, during the, the um, this thing just went off on me here. I finished my novel sometime during the uh, summer or winter of 1950. I found some brown wrapping paper in the kitchen and with some strings and somewhere on a drawer, and I wrapped, uh, wrapped it up and tied the manuscript and sent it to New York. A month or so later, it came back accompanied by one of those patented rejection slips, sorry, but keep us in mind. I took the manuscript outside and burned it in the incinerator. That was the end of my initial attempt at writing because I had been neglecting my schoolwork and falling farther and farther back in my classes. After graduating from high school and spending two years in a junior college, I was enlisted into the armed force. On being discharged, I enrolled at San Francisco State College to study writing and American literature. Later, I would win a fellowship to Stanford University. Both at State and at Stanford, I had wonderful teachers who encouraged me to write about the things I knew, to write about the Louisiana I had come from and the lives of the people who lived there. They told me to write about my aunt and about the old people who could not read and write and to write about my brother and my friends and the way we lived and the way we played. They assigned me books to read and they showed me how other writers, great writers, had put their own experience into their writing. Now that I look back on my career for the past 40-some years, I feel that I'm still writing those letters for those old people, not only for the old, but for the young as well, and not only for those whom I knew as a child, but for those who lived many generations before. They were not given a chance to read and write, and I was. But without their voices, had I not sat on that porch and wrote those letters 55 years ago, I'm certain that I would not be standing here tonight. After all, what else would I have had to write about? Thank you very much.